is Psalm 23. That's Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Good morning, church. I thought we could start out today with uh, an image. You've probably seen this image before. Uh, Here it is. It's by William Eli Hill. Um, have you seen this one? Raise your hand if you've seen this before. Okay, lots of people have. Okay, the, the cool thing about this image is there's actually two images in the picture, if you haven't seen this. Uh, and, and it's kind of an interesting thing. You know, which one can you see first? There's a picture of an elderly woman here, but there's also a picture of a young woman as well. And I think the real test, at least as far as I'm concerned, is, is, is if you can see the other one. You know, whatever one you saw first... Can you train yourself to see the other image? If you're struggling, I can kind of give you a couple of hints, maybe. Uh, The the young woman's ear is actually the old woman's left eye. I don't know if that helps. The old woman's mouth, if you're seeing the old woman, is the young woman's necklace. And the young woman's cheekbone is actually the crease uh, in the old woman's nose. I, I hope that helps a bit. If not, well, you can look at it later some more. Um, it's a fascinating image, though, really, because usually you can train yourself to see the other image that you didn't see at first. And apparently, uh, based on some of the reading I was doing recently, there are, have been some experiments done uh, where they where they take a group of people and they show half of the group of people a whole bunch of pictures of like elderly women. They show the other half a whole bunch of pictures of young women. And then they show them a picture like this one. And the interesting thing is that most people tend to see the image that they were preconditioned to see at first, right? Which is kind of, we might kind of get that. I think we sort of understand that. You know, the human mind tends to be like that, I think, in a lot of areas. You know, if we've understood something to be a certain way before, we tend to see that situation again in the next thing we see, right? It's sort of how our brains work. And sometimes that can be really helpful, uh, but other times, you know, it's not such a good thing because it will cause us to miss something, you know, miss what we were actually supposed to see in the first place or miss the lesson that we were supposed to learn in the situation, And I think the topic of suffering is kind of like this image or kind of like that, you know. Suffering, it's a topic that we've all had painful experience with and it it shaped us, each of us. Our lives have been shaped by it. And on top of that, there's a lot of messages about where suffering uh, or about where God fits in with suffering in the world. And because of these things, you know, our experience and these messages that we hear, we, we probably all have some level of preconditioning when it comes to this topic of suffering. And we might be tempted to slot it into a certain category in our minds based on what we've experienced before without really giving it a lot of thought. For instance, you know, many people believe that nothing good can come from suffering and it should be avoided like at all costs. 
Other people believe that suffering can only mean that God is angry with them. Or maybe that suffering proves that God doesn't love them. Or even maybe that suffering proves that a good God, you know, just doesn't exist. You know, we hear a lot of these messages and it's kind of, I think, like being shown that that picture, you know, being preconditioned to be seeing a whole bunch of pictures, maybe of like the elderly woman and then being expected to see the young lady in the picture. It's going to be very difficult for us because we've been preconditioned to think about suffering as something else. But the good news today is that the Bible can shift our sight on suffering, just like we can shift our sight with the image of the two women. You know, and I called this lesson Sights on Suffering for that reason. I'm working from an assumption, which I hope is true, that we all believe that suffering is a serious problem in our world. It's a brutal, brutal reality of life that affects every single person. And it's hard. But the Bible helps us to see that where we set our sights in times of suffering can make a real tangible difference to our hope, our resilience, and our growth even through the suffering. And so this morning I'd I'd like to look at Psalm 23 and see what we can do to shift our sights in times of suffering to help us hold on to our faith in times of suffering. And the overall message today that I'd like us to to take home with us is that the antidote to suffering isn't necessarily comfort, although the Bible is not against comfort, but the real antidote to, to suffering is our faith. Our faith is what will get us through. But first, I'd like to just say a couple of things about the question of why suffering happens in the first place. You know, Maybe you can resonate with some of these questions. You know, if God is a good God, why does he allow people to suffer? If God is a God of love, then why is there so much evil in the world? Why is my child sick? Why did I get that diagnosis? Why is there so much violence? Why are helpless people oppressed and starving to death while other people are living in opulence and luxury? You know, these questions... (laughs) They're tough, man, and they help us to appreciate some of the reasons why suffering is such a heavy topic. Suffering is real, and people are going through seriously brutal situations all over the world, and I know some of the people listening to this sermon this morning are going through that today. And I just wanted to say this up front to be very clear that nothing about this sermon is meant to make light of the suffering that people might be facing, nor is it an attempt to brush off, you know, the weight of what you might be going through. Sometimes I think we can oversimplify this topic of suffering and and we end up saying things that are just untrue and hurtful even. That's what happens with, uh, that's what happened with uh, Job, right? The, The book of Job, his friends, you know, their message to Job was, was basically, you know, your suffering is because you sinned and God is punishing you. You know, black and white. But the reality is, if we read the book, that it, that wasn't the issue at all. They had no idea, really, what they were talking about. And so, I don't want to repeat that today, you know. I don't want to oversimplify things with our topic today, but I, you know, and I'm also not God. 
And I can't stand here and give you the exact reason for your specific suffering on, or my specific suffering, because as humans, we don't always have that capacity, you know, the capacity to see everything, to see all the answers in a specific way. But I still want to give us a biblical framework, I think, that can help us to understand why God allows suffering to happen. In my own life, as I've struggled with this question, as I'm sure all of us have at some point, you know, it's been really helpful for me to look at the bigger picture of the story of the Bible because it helps me to see something very important about suffering. You know, in the beginning of the story, Genesis 1 and 2, we see very clearly that suffering was not a part of God's original design for humanity. And I think it's important for us to really consider that and, and, and take that in. And if we fast forward all the way to the end of God's story, in Revelation 21, we see that where God, take, where God is taking us is going to be a place without suffering. That's the end of the story. No more death, no more mourning, no crying, no pain. Everything in the end will be restored to the way that God intended it to be at the beginning with no suffering. So God started with a world with no suffering and he's taking his creation back to a place where there will be no more suffering. And I think that we need to have this fixed in our mind because it helps us to better approach some of those difficult questions about suffering. But, as we all know, where we currently are is in a world that is full of suffering. And we know from the story of Scripture where that suffering originated. You know, in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sin against God, suffering enters the world through Satan's influence and human sin. And, and that's the framework I want us to see today. That's the big picture idea. And I know this framework or, or this big picture you know, isn't going to necessarily answer every single specific question about why suffering exists. But it helps me at least to better approach the topic of suffering. God's original design didn't include suffering, and he's been working ever since sin entered the world to take us back to a place where there will be no more suffering. But in the meantime, the prince of this world reigns, and sin and suffering are rampant. That might sound depressing, <laughs> But the good news is that God is still very much, very much able to use the suffering in this world for good. And he does it all the time. And we read about this idea in, in Romans 8.28. It says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. All things, all things includes suffering in this world. God can, and he certainly does, use suffering for good. And that doesn't mean, I mean, don't misunderstand me, that doesn't mean that the suffering itself is good, because it's not. We know that by experiencing it, right? It doesn't mean that God wants his creation to suffer, because he doesn't. But it does mean that he is certainly able to use the suffering in his creation for good purposes. The life of Job is a great example of this because we can see, you know, what happened there. It's a rare glimpse into why things happened the way they did. Satan wanted to bring Job down. But in the end, 
what Satan meant for evil, God redeemed for good. And he's still doing that today. That's what I want to put forward. Satan wanted to destroy Job, but God proved his sovereignty over the situation and used Satan's own efforts against him and actually strengthened Job's understanding of who God was through the process, as well as that of his his friends, if we can call them his friends. And most importantly for our purposes today, Job's example teaches us something that's so worth remembering. A strong faith in God will overcome suffering every time. Every time. A strong faith in God will overcome suffering every time. Faith can triumph over suffering no matter how bad it gets. And this is the good news for us. And so with that in mind, I want to set our sights on suffering today. You know, if faith is really the antidote to suffering, then we need to talk about how we can strengthen our faith when suffering comes. And I want to suggest three things that will help us shift our sights towards uh, three things that we can shift our sights towards in times of suffering. The first is that we need to set our sights on the shepherd. The second is that we need to set our sights on the shore. And the third is that we need to set our sights on the next step. So let's talk about this. Let's start with setting our sights on the shepherd. This is probably the most fundamental of the three In essence, this shift is about remembering that God is our shepherd. God is our shepherd. Not some fallible human being. Not some evil ruler. The God who made us and loves us and gave his son up for us. He is the one leading us. He is our shepherd. And because of that, things will be okay. And by okay, of course, I don't mean that we will be free from suffering. But I mean that if we can appreciate exactly who is leading us and exactly who our shepherd is and how much he loves us, that can actually make a big difference to our confidence in the hope and the hope that we have in the midst of suffering. We see this perspective in the psalm. In verse 1, David says, Because God is my shepherd... Essentially, I have everything I I need already. What an attitude. It wasn't that David believed that God was going to spare him from all troubles, right? He knew troubles were coming. But his confidence came came from the fact that God was his shepherd. So he already had everything he needed. He already had everything he needed to get through it. This statement has caused me to realize that When suffering comes, our greatest asset is not necessarily a lack of suffering. The real difference maker is faith. To have a strong enough faith to trust that God will sustain us and that, and that we will get through it with our faith in Him. And, but we struggle with this though, right? I mean, we're human. This is hard. I mean, we're probably on board here with verses 2 and 3. You know, God being our shepherd in those times. You know, it's easy to see God as a good shepherd when he's leading us beside green pastures or beside still waters in life. But then when our our life starts to look more like verse 4, it gets challenging. What about when we're going through that dark valley, the valley of suffering? Do we still trust that he knows where he's going? 
When there's evil all around us, will we lose trust and look for a better path on our own? I think we really need to appreciate this shepherding metaphor here in the psalm. Brothers and sisters, you and I are the sheep in this metaphor, and God is our shepherd. And that means that it's him who leads us by the green pastures and the quiet waters. But it also means that it's him who is still the one leading us into the dark valleys as well. And as far as I can tell, that can only mean one of two things. Either he's a sadistic shepherd who wants to see his sheep suffer, or he's leading us through the valley because he's trying to take us somewhere better. And the only way to get there is through that valley. The type of shepherd that you see God as matters so much, I I would submit. Is God a shepherd who doesn't really know where he's going or doesn't have your best interests in mind? Or is he a shepherd that you trust with your very life? And someone who you're committing to follow, even through the valleys, because you know that he is taking you somewhere better. And that it's worth the journey. I also really appreciate the different ways that David refers to God here at the beginning of the psalm. When things are are going good, David refers to him in the third person. You know, he makes me lie down. He leads me. It's more of an impersonal way of referring to God. But when things get real, it changes. His language changes. When he's in the valley of the shadow of death, when he's surrounded by evil, David switches to talking about God in a direct and personal way. He says, you are with me. You comfort me. And at least, well, and I think that's just, it's just so telling, right? Of what it's like when we experience suffering. I mean, at least for me, it's generally not in the times when things are going great that I feel a sense of God's nearness to me. If I had to make a short list of of the few times in life when I felt that I was just so close to God, or those times when I really felt a sense of His presence with me, I mean, I I don't know about you, but for me, it's the times when I'm being tested. The times when I'm struggling or suffering that rise to the top of that list. That's when it gets personal. And that's why it's so important for us to keep our sights on suffering when we face it. To keep our sights on the shepherd. Because leading in, uh, because learning to lean into our personal faith in him is so important to get us through. The second shift, uh, that I want to point out this morning is to shift our sights to the shore. And by shore, I mean to the other side of the valley, the the other shore of the stormy sea, you could say, to the place where God is leading us. Psalm 23 helps us to see that life is going to have some green pastures, but it's also going to have some valleys. And that's sort of the reality of life that we live with. But a dangerous thing, a really dangerous thing can happen when we find ourselves stuck in the valley. When we just get trapped there. Do you know anyone stuck in a valley? You know, maybe you feel like you're stuck there yourself right now. I know I've been there. We lose sight of where our shepherd is trying to take us and, and we freeze up. We lose faith that God is going to get us to the other side. You know, there's a great story about this I want to share from Matthew 8. 
when Jesus and his disciples are in a boat together. I'm going to read verse 18 and then 23 to 27. It says, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. 23, he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. Can you imagine? The disciples went and awoke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And he replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed, and they asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. I love this story. And I love how verse 18 says that Jesus gave orders to go to the other side. I think that's significant. When Jesus gave these orders, surely he knew that the storm was coming, but he gave the orders anyway. He wanted his disciples to realize that as long as he was in the boat, they were going to get to the other side. Verse 23 says that he got in the boat first and then his disciples followed him. And I mean, isn't that exactly what we're talking about this morning? Our shepherd is calling us to follow him as well. He wants to take us to the other shore. He wants to do that for us as well, but sometimes that means that we're going to have to go through a storm to get there. And I think part of the lesson in this is is that as his followers, we're supposed to trust that he will get us to the other side, no matter how bad the storm seems to be. His disciples, you know, they lost faith. They got distracted by the storm, you could say. They turned their eyes from the shore to the storm. And I think this can so hap- so easily happen with you and I as well, when we allow ourselves to get distracted by the storms of life. And this story, it helps me to see how powerful a weapon our faith can be. A powerful, how powerful it is to remember that He's taking us to a better shore and we will get there because we are in the boat with Jesus and He will deliver. That confidence means so much when you're suffering. And, and this is the attitude that we see David have as well in verse 6. Even though he was going through a valley, he believed the goodness and mercy of God would get him through that valley. He kept his eyes fixed on the other side, which for him was that he would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And his faith remained strong. And so my encouragement to all of us today is, if you're in a storm right now, if you're in a valley, don't get distracted by it. Lift your eyes to where he's taking you and have faith that he will get you there. Set your sights on the shore. And the last thing that I want to talk about today uh, is to set our sights on a very special gift that God has given us. The gift of our free will. I called this uh, setting our sights on the next step because God has gifted us with this free will, which I really believe is a gift, a gift to change the things that we have control over. We can choose to ask the question, what do I have control over in this situation? Sometimes there's really nothing that we can do to change the situation we're in. But even in those cases, we can still choose to learn. We can still choose our attitude We can choose to ask the question, is there anything that I can learn from this? 
Or maybe how will I respond to this? We see this attitude in the psalm as well. I think all these verbs here that I'm highlighting, they all have to do with the state of movement. A state of moving with God to the next step. God is leading, but we still have a choice to move with Him or not. We have a choice to get frozen up in the valley if we want to, or, or to get distracted by the storm. Our shepherd wants us to move with Him through it, but we need to move with Him on our own free will. And I hope when I'm saying these things, you don't hear me saying, you know, just, you know, your suffering is trivial. Just, just forget about it, suck it up and move on. Cause that's, that's not what I'm trying to say at all. Because that's, that's not, that's not helpful and that's not true. I'm trying to point out that God wants us to use the suffering. Sorry. I'm trying to point out that God wants to use the suffering in your life for good. And we need to trust Him with that by moving with him through the suffering or taking the next step with him as we go through the storm. And that could look so different to every one of us. You know, maybe that next step looks like simply being open to learn a valuable life lesson instead of closing yourself off in fear and bitterness. Maybe it means making changes in your life, maybe to your attitudes or your behaviors. Or maybe it's just learning, you know, learning through the suffering of what it really means to say that God loves me and he is with me. Sometimes the best way to learn that is in suffering. Maybe the next step for you is more practical. You know, maybe you've suffered a serious shakeup in your life recently and God is giving you a chance to re-examine your life, to re-examine your faith, to re-examine what you think is important. And make changes. Maybe if our relationships keep failing, God's giving us a chance to work on a destructive behavior and change that behavior. Or maybe it's about priorities. Maybe that next step is about resetting priorities. You know, Alicia uh, helps people deal with their cancer all the time at work. And I can't tell you how many times her patients have urged her to reprioritize in her life what is truly important, you know. Suffering an illness or suffering a loss, it, it tends to cause us to re-examine what's really important in life and often to make important changes that maybe we, we never would have made otherwise. The Apostle Paul said something profound about this idea in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8 to 10. He said, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. Listen to what he says here. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. So for Paul, the suffering that he experienced in Asia was no joke. It was extremely serious. It was so bad that he said that he despaired of life itself. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever despaired of life because of your suffering? I mean, thank God that this wasn't the end of the story for Paul. Thank God that Paul was willing to take 
a next step in the storm. And I think for Paul, the next step was to, to learn a lesson. He needed to learn that it wasn't necessarily about him so much. You know, it wasn't about relying on himself. It was more about relying on God. And this realization changed everything. I mean, he not only got through what was happening in Asia, but he had confidence that God was going to deliver him again and that he could move forward into the future and take on challenges, trusting that God was going to be there with him. You know, I love this this scripture here because it's so raw. It's so honest. You know, he was honest about how it felt. Suffering is not good news for any of us. But what God can do with it is where we find the good news. Because God is our shepherd, we can trust that he will bless us when we take that next step with him through our suffering. Those words that Paul used, you know, that he despaired of life, that really resonated with me as I was reading this. And, and maybe some of you as well. You know, I went through a, a difficult situation a few years back. And if, if you want to talk more about the details, I'd, I'd love to talk about it later. But just for the sake of brevity, you know, this situation caused me to really identify with what Paul said here, that he despaired of life itself. My faith was being challenged severely, and I'd come to the point where I wasn't even really sure about my salvation. I wasn't even really sure if I knew who God was anymore. It was it was a low valley for me. And looking back on it now, I can see that it was probably much more painful than it needed to be for me because I took so long to take that next step with my shepherd. My eyes were fixed on the storm. I got lost in the valley. I wasn't looking, uh, I wasn't looking for that next step with my shepherd and the one he wanted me to take. And it took me embarrassingly like months or even years before I eventually found a way to take those next steps with my faith. And in that process, I learned valuable lessons about how Satan works. You know, he works to isolate us and trap us in those valleys. Those were hard times, but also times when I learned lessons that are so valuable to me today. They've shaped my life for the better. And when I was stuck in that valley, you know, I wasn't growing. It only happened that I would grow with God when I took steps to follow Him. And I would never want to go through that again. (laughs) It was bad. But I would also never trade what I learned for anything. What God did for me in that time was invaluable for my life. And so I'm just telling you all this to say that it takes courage. But in the midst of suffering, we need to be able to show that we have the faith in God to ask him to show us the next step and be willing to take it with him. So there's so much more that we could say about suffering this morning. I wish we could probably extend this lesson over two or three Sundays, but... I hope that what we've seen today from Psalm 23 can be a practical and a helpful guide for all of us. Suffering is a brutal and a persistent reality in the world that we live in. But the Bible teaches us that something we're not going to hear anywhere else, probably. The real antidote to suffering is not necessarily finding a more comfortable path, but rather it's having the faith to stick with our shepherd that's our most valuable asset. And I hope these three things will help us lean into our faith today. 
If you're listening to this and you need some help with responding to the message, or if you just want to talk about it with someone, please come and see me after. Please don't suffer in isolation. That's the territory of our enemy. My hope and prayer for all of us is that we could really experience a shift in our sights on suffering. That we could turn our eyes away from fear, away from the lies of our enemy, and to set our sights on our shepherd, on where he is taking us, and on what the next step is in front of us. Thank you for your time this morning.